0: Welcome to the Royal Christian Center Sermon Podcast.: We're going to open the word of God together, and we're going to celebrate what God says to us, and we're going to be challenged and changed. Anybody up for that? All right. Um, we as a church, because we believe that's what God is saying to us at the moment, God's alive, He speaks. We've been talking about issues, theme of of battle, breakthrough of blessing, Um, not everything comes easy. It doesn't naturally, does it? You've got to work at things that are valuable or that really count that you really want. Why do we think things are different spiritually? Um, Jesus making a way for you to be saved and made new, it cost him everything, didn't it? Didn't it cost Jesus everything upon the cross? and you know he gives us that gift freely uh, you don't have to do anything to earn your salvation you don't have to do anything to earn God's love in your life he chooses you because he chooses you, it's not like school where you're lined up to play some sports and, and your mates picked one another because they were really good and they wanted to win it's not like that thank God <laughs> uh, I never got picked last but it was pretty close a few times God picks us because he picks us. He chooses us because he chooses us. He loves us because he loves us. There's a lot of freedom in that. You don't, have to, you don't have to earn God's love. You don't have to impress him. Cost him everything. To receive, it costs us nothing. But the Bible then says, freely you've received, so freely give. And when we want to see God's kingdom come in our world, when we want to see God's will be done, you know those words because you pray them often in the Lord's Prayer, yeah? And, you know, we've been praying them since we were kids in school and we didn't really know what we were saying. It's powerful stuff. When we want these things to, to happen, you know, there's cost, there's challenge, there's battle, there's a fight. We read in Ephesians chapter six just last Sunday morning that it's our fight you see, to be a Christian is to be a soldier. It's to be a fighter. Yeah, look at each other for a moment. You look at each other, go on. And you think, I don't know whether they look much like fighters. You're fighters if you're in Jesus. The Bible teaches us something more than that. The Bible teaches us, if we stand firm, stand firm, persevere, keep the faith, we might say, we are then overcomers, yeah yes. our bible talks about this in the book of revelation you know it says come on listen up listen up listen up he remains firm to the end you know, there's a call upon our lives to keep going to stand firm in Ephesians it says you know when, when everything's done stand yeah, yeah. I'll wake a couple of you up then <laughs> shall I do it again stand stand this is the call of God upon our lives. The Bible says, "Battle, yes; breakthrough, yes; blessing, absolutely." And that's what we're talking about—seeking what the Bible has to say to us in this particular season. And um, we started off in Ephesians chapter six, reading from verse ten onwards. And um, we might not read that whole passage again today, but if you missed it last week, go back, have a bit of a look. We were looking and we were seeing this is our fight. We were hearing a call from people who've gone before us, someone like the Apostle Paul at the beginning of the book of Colossians, chapter 2. And he struggled. He struggled on behalf of those who were coming to faith. We're asking ourselves, where's the front line of the fight? Where's the battle fiercest? Where do we need to put ourselves? We want our lives to count. We want our lives to have purpose, to have meaning. We want to get stuck in with our God because, you know, where the battle is fiercest, that's where God is oftentimes present in the greatest fullness. You know, we might talk about the manifest presence of God. You know, you want to be safe. It's not always where the storm isn't. Yeah? Who was safer in the story, in the Gospels? The disciples who stayed in the boat being tossed around by the wind and the waves or Peter who ended up holding Jesus' hand walking on top of the waves who was safer in the end the answer's always yeah yeah the answer's always the one with Jesus I was going to say the answer's always Jesus but that's Sunday school isn't it it's always Jesus you know we need to say well actually you know we, we, we falsely try and find safety By hiding from the battle. And you know, there's cost in the battle. But where Jesus is, is where you want to be. You don't want to be anywhere else. Get yourself to the front line. Jesus came, he said, to seek and to save the lost. Yeah? You know, Jesus came today to seek and save lost people here in church. I wonder if he spends a lot more time somewhere else. Where are lost people? I wonder where Jesus spends most of his time. I wonder where Jesus' heart is. He loves you. Don't hear me wrong. He loves you. He loves me. That was a good place for an amen. Jesus came to seek and to save people who were lost and needed finding. Yeah. He's doing some of that today, right here, but he's doing a lot of it somewhere else, oftentimes. Come on, where where are we? Where are we? Where are we? And where are we at our best? Yeah. Where's the vibrancy of your life? Where are you fullest alive? That doesn't even make any sense. Where are you most alive? Yeah. Seeking and saving the lost with Jesus. Yeah. Jesus would oftentimes say things like, I- I'm about my master's business or I'm about my father's business. He would say things like this uh, because he knew what he was doing. The Bible says that Jesus knew that Jerusalem, that city at that time, was going to be the place of his capture and his false accusation where people would beat and abuse him horrendously and they would convict him, though he had done nothing wrong. They would put him upon a cross and put him to death, not because they had power over him, but because he chose to surrender. What does the Bible say? He set his face towards Jerusalem, the place of his death. I think all too often we set our face anywhere but (laughs) where it'll cost us. We we set our face, you know, to comfort. We set our face to personal ambition. We set our face to possession or experience or things which they're, they're passing away. They're passing away. They're by their nature momentary. Where are you setting your face? Jesus sets his face to the place of cost. Not because he's some sort of, you know, got some sort of martyr complex or because he's masochistic or anything crazy. He sets his face to the the place and the point and the time and the purpose of cost because of love. Because he loves people who are helpless and hopeless and he is their help and their hope. Christians, if you're Christians, Christians, you're a Christian. It's good, isn't it? Jesus is in us. Yeah. Christ is in us. Yeah. The hope of glory. Yeah. Come on. Jesus is the help and the hope of the world. That's right. Will we keep him, try to keep him bottled up? Packaged neat and tidy inside here, inside here. Hmm. Come on, come on. I'm assuming by the fact that nobody shouted heresy or anything. You know this is true. Yeah. You know it's in the Bible, don't you? I know it's in the Bible. I always do it. Come on, we need to be reminded of these things, don't we? Don't we? Seven, eight, nine. Do we need to be reminded of these things? Yes. 20, 25. Do we need to be reminded of these things? <laughs> Come on. We need to be reminded of these things. and Fight. Fight there's a lot of fight in you, if only you realised it. There's some toughness. Yeah? You know? I want to get on my toes. Come on. Nobody... Things don't always look um, as they are. Things aren't always as they seem. Has anyone ever... Has anyone bought a Toblerone recently? Have you bought a Toblerone recently? Do you know, don't get me started. They say it's Brexit, mate. I'm sorry about. There's a piece missing in your Toblerone. Have you noticed this? The gaps between the bits in the Toblerone have gotten bigger. Have you seen this? You're going to start writing to Nestle, aren't you now, or whoever makes them? I don't know. You're to sort it out. The box looks the same. You get the, you open the box and the foil wrapper's there, and you pop the foil, and the first piece looks the same, but you slide it out and there's a great big glaring gap. (sighs) Things aren't always as they seem. (laughs) North Korea, there's a step change, isn't there? Toblerone, North Korea. (laughs) North Korea. And pray for North Koreans, especially North Korean Christians. Amen. Fantastic people, must be. Yes. North Korea's firing missiles over Japan and testing nuclear weapons. Things aren't as they seem. They look like they're big and tough. And they send out these pictures, don't they, of military parades with all their hardware and thousands of soldiers doing their stupid walking. <laughs> they, and they look tough and hard. They can't even feed their people in their country China has to ship them food all the time because people are starving buildings are crumbling and infrastructures, you know so backward things aren't always as they seem I remember um, when I was early-ish I guess in ministry one of the, the first dead people I ever saw there's another thing to talk about This happens when you're in ministry. You meet people when they're at the end of life. And this gentleman, he was a Christian. It's a good story. But I went to pray with him and I got word that sadly he'd just passed away just before I arrived. Um I went and I was there and in the care in a care home and um one of the care staff, another Christian, she said, Do you want to just You could go in and you could just say a prayer of thanks. It's good, isn't it, when people are telling pastors how to do what they're supposed to do? (laughs) I love it. It's really good. Christians encouraging one another. It's fantastic. And so I did. And I I went, I thought I knew the room, and I went and I went down the corridors and opened the door. And I looked in, and I thought it was somebody else because they changed so much. And I I shut the door and I looked, yes, it's the. And I went and asked, I said, which room? And it was the right. And I opened the door and I could make him out, I guess. But he changed so much because the body was there, but he wasn't. Life had gone biologically, spirit was with the Lord wonderfully, and he wasn't there. Things are not always as they seem. And they said, oh, yes, he's there, but he wasn't. <laughs> He was somewhere else. Things are not always as they seem. There's a movie called uh, The Princess Bride. One of the best movies ever made. Don't, don't argue with me. Um, there's a character in the movie, and strange things are happening all around him. And every time something strange or seemingly impossible happens around him, he says, inconceivable like it can't be even thought of let alone done and he says it about a thousand times about everything and eventually one of the other characters turns to him and says I do not think that that means what you think that that means (laughs) it isn't what you think it is something else is happening it isn't what you think is going on it isn't what you think you can see It isn't what you think you know. Something else is going on. We've been learning about our fight, our struggle, getting to the front line, called to stand firm, all prayers for all the saints at all times, extinguishing the fiery darts of our enemy with the shield of faith. Today, I want to consider a little bit about who we're fighting. Who we're fighting. I think it's possible that when, in Ephesians chapter 6 talks about these things, that when we talk about schemes of the devil, or cosmic powers, or spiritual forces, for many of us, I do not think that it means what you think that it means. Do you hear me? you think it sounds all a bit Star Wars right now, aren't you? What we do know is that the battle, the fight, is worth it. It is worth the cost. It is worth the investment. It is worth the struggle, even the pain. Somebody fought on your behalf, didn't they? That you might come to know Jesus. A life with God. Someone fought for you. Hey, until we get to heaven, you may not even know exactly who's been fighting for you, but they have. You might be thinking, everyone's fighting against me. It's not true. There are faithful believers and they're praying for you. And they're contending for you. And they've they've been doing so since the days of the Bible. And I know that the people like the Apostle Paul, they're with Jesus even now. And they're saying, I so hope that the words that I wrote will help them in the struggle. You know, Jesus is fighting for you. Yeah? Wow. It's worth the fight. It's worth it. Would you read a little bit of the Bible with me? If you can, it's, we're going to go to Revelation chapter 12. And uh, open it up or scroll to it on your phone. It's going to come up on the screen. And we're going to read some Bible together, Revelation chapter 12. And we're going to begin at verse 7. So if you wouldn't mind heading to To there. All right. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 7. Now, war arose in heaven. Michael and his angels, Michael's one of the, the leaders of the angels, fighting against the dragon, which is an image here. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. There's good news even right there. because wickedness and rebellion has no place in the presence of God. That's good news because Jesus is coming again. <laughs> uh, and when he comes, no wickedness, no rebellion, no sin, no brokenness, no pain, no loss, no death, none of these things because they can't be in the presence of God. That's good news. The Bible says when he comes again, he's going to take you to be with him forevermore. I don't know why I pointed it up. I don't know. We do that, don't we? With Jesus. No place for wickedness, no place for fallen angels, for the devil. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. We'll leave it there for a moment. Here we find the reason Um, in a sense, why there are spiritual forces, cosmic powers of darkness, powers that are opposed to the righteous rule of God. Elsewhere in the Bible, in Isaiah chapter 14, we see that this rebellion against God and his just and perfect and good rule, the rebellion against God's peace and perfection, comes about actually because of pride. Isaiah, he sees the same kind of uh, story, this vision, and he says, how are you fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn? Sounds beautiful, but tragically broken. This is, this is talking about the devil, made in beauty, but fallen. And Isaiah goes on to say, how are you cut to the ground, you who laid the nations low? You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. Above the stars of God, I will set my throne on high. It's pride. It's pride. It's the sinfulness of seeking self over and above God. Of seeking to rule and reign. Pride is infectious, it's pervasive, it's destructive. There once was a time, wasn't there, when each of us sought to live on the throne of our own lives? We sought to be the rulers and masters of our own existence, didn't we? It's so ridiculous. Which of us were involved in our creation? Which of us caused ourselves to come into being? We didn't just sit somewhere and think really hard about it and suddenly we arrived. We have no mastery, no power over our existence. We came into this world simply by the providence of God. We'll go out of it when he says, we're done. And yet pride says, you're in charge. No, we're not. Pride causing the devil to rebel against God. And here we found in what we've read, these forces rebelling against God, thrown down thrown down, as the Bible teaches us, uh, to the earth, albeit for a time, for a season, before their ultimate judgment. And yet, we are told that while the devil and those fallen angels or demons are here on the earth, we must still be watchful and careful in our lives of holiness. Holiness. In First Peter chapter 5, we find this uh, really great um, instruction to us. Be sober-minded, yeah? Steady, thoughtful, careful. You're thinking about yourself, you think that doesn't really describe me. Mm-hmm. Don't know. Sober-minded. Sometimes we can be flighty, can't we? If we're honest, we can be a bit skittish. You know, we're, we're this way and that. We don't stick at things. We're not steady. You know, we're, we are always concentrating on one thing and then it's squirrel. You know, we're those kinds of people, aren't we? You're like, I'm not a doggy. We're like that, aren't we? Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary. Sounds like a fight, doesn't it? You have an adversary in a fight. Some of you are like, I don't know, I've never fought. Come on, come on, it's your calling. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. He's proud, yeah? It's not surprising, is it, that when they have a group of lions, you can help me with this, Grace. Um, When they have a group of lions, they call them a pride, don't they, of lions. Why? It's because they look so full of themselves, don't they, lions? They know they look awesome. And there they are just saying everyone look at me just look at me. <laughs> I am so great. And that's what lions they give that impression. Proud. Is it any surprise that the Bible says that that's how the devil is acting? Strutting around this world like a roaring lion. Pompous. Proud with an inflated sense of self. Thinking that he will always be in charge. Hmm, not so much. But he does prowl around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, the Bible says. Firm in your faith. Do you remember that we're to stand? Yeah? Firm in your faith. So what should we do, Christians? Well, we certainly don't need to go start seeking demons on every doorknob. You know, there have been times and seasons in Christian life, in the life of churches, where, honestly, it's like there are, you know, there's a demon under the rug, or, you know, under the couch, there's one there. Come on. That's not our calling, it's not our business. Rather, in Peter, just as in Ephesians, really all through the Bible, we are called to stand firm, to oppose and to resist. How are we to stand? Well, let's acknowledge the devil's schemes first. He's really only got a couple of things in his armory, He uses them over and over, and he does so because they're effective. They are sadly effective in our world, uh, even amongst Christians from time to time. They have a devastating effect, even on the lives of believers. Let's not be ignorant, but prepared in Christ to stand firm. Firstly, our, our adversary seeks to tempt. It's worth noting that temptation in itself isn't a sin. Unless, of course, you're seeking places where you will be tempted or constantly putting yourself deliberately in the place of temptation. I would suggest to you that that is sinful. But just being tempted isn't a sin. Nowhere does the Bible say, beat yourself up because you've been tempted. No, no, no. The Bible does convict us. That is, the Bible causes us to want to come closer to God. But the Bible will not condemn you, Christians, the Bible will not force you away from God. The Bible teaches very clearly that for those of us who are in Christ, there's no condemnation. There's no condemnation, but there may be conviction. Don't put yourself in the place of temptation. Don't drink in things or be in places or undergo experiences that you know may lead you to sin. The Bible says, flee from. Leg it. Flee from. Temptation of all stripes. Satan will seek to tempt you oftentimes according to natural desires. And he seeks to twist what may be a natural desire and turn it into a lust. You see, lusts dominate and destroy. A desire when channeled according to God's will and his purposes, which may mean not yet or not that way or not there or not with them. A desire when channeled according to God's purposes can be a wonderful servant to enrich your life. But a desire polluted, twisted, broken in temptation through the enemy's works will become a lust which dominates and destroys. It can never be good. And the Bible in 1 John 2 talks about various ways that this can happen. It talks about the lusts of the flesh. Physical appetites twisted to an extent that they dominate. You know, hunger, normal natural desire to eat good foods. But when it becomes something that is uncontrollable, untrammeled, just wildly out of control, hunger can become a lust of the flesh that dominates and destroys you even in your body. You see how this works? And the Bible says be careful about such things, the lust of the flesh. The Bible also talks about the lust of the eyes, the things that are attractive. There's nothing wrong was seeing a Ferrari whiz past you on the motorway and thinking, that's a nice-looking car. If your life becomes then consumed with the pursuit of getting yourself a Ferrari at all costs and in all ways, then the lust of the eye has got a hold of you. And you won't be satisfied, not even, when you get yourself behind the wheel of that Ferrari. The lusts of the flesh, physical appetites perverted and distorted. The lust of the eyes, things that consume you with their fleeting beauty. And you think that that's the meaning of life, but it ain't. What does the Bible say as well? The pride of life in 1 John 2. Being dominated by ambition, by achievement, by the sense of self The very idea of being a self-made man or a self-made woman, what a conceit that is. It's not possible. But the pride of life can consume any of us, cause us to be led away from God. These are the kinds of temptations that our enemy will seek to battle against you with. The Bible teaches us to flee from such things, to leg it, to get away from them. Put to death these earthly passions the Bible talks about, which wage war against your soul. Let's not be pretty about these things. Let's not be overly delicate. There's a fight for your soul. you placed your trust in Jesus Christ, and good, right that you should, That doesn't mean that our enemy, the devil, is happy about that. Nor does it mean that he will say, All right, I'm done. I won't wage war against their soul anymore. He's proud. He's arrogant. He thinks he can have you, even though he's read the Bible and he knows he can't. He thinks he can, and he'll try. Many of you might have read a book by C.S. Lewis called The Screwtape Letters. Have you read this book? And it's letters passed back and forth in the imagination of C.S. Lewis between um, a senior demon and a, a trainee as to how they should seek to trip up a person, yeah? And the letters go back and forth and this person is becoming a Christian and the trainee demon's not doing a very good job. Isn't that good to hear? They're pretty rubbish. The letters go back and forth. Oh, you should try this. Oh, you've done that wrong. How about doing this? Or, or seek to play upon these lusts or, or seek to, to, to play upon pride and these kinds of things. And to try and trip up, to try and capture, to try and dismay, to try and find the chink in the armor that we might be brought down. There's a war on. <laughs> We're going to be victorious. Yes. Satan even t- tried to tempt Jesus in these ways without success the key to Jesus' victory wasn't that he knew more of the Bible than you, though he does the key to Jesus' victory wasn't that, you know, he'd been working out in the gym that day and he was, you know no, he'd been fasting 40 days and 40 nights, so physically he felt pretty weak the key to Jesus' victory was that he knew who he was in his father's love He knew what he was about by his father's commission. I would say to you, Christian, when the the devil seeks to tempt you and to trip you up in these ways, it's about identity. Where are you seeking satisfaction? Where are you seeking acceptance? Where are you seeking security? I would say to you, if you're seeking any of these things, anywhere except for in God's, In the Father's love for you, say to someone near you, God the Father loves you. Would you say that? Go on, do it quick. God the Father loves you. If you're seeking your significance, your acceptance, your security anywhere else, then your identity has a big hole in it. There's a great big foothold in your life that the devil will really get his gnarly old boots into there's a chink in your armour your identity is in God why would you seek any of your being anywhere else? nothing else can satisfy you know this to be true don't you? has anyone ever tried anything in their life to satisfy them? and it's disappointed? hasn't turned out like you thought wasn't it? you know, relationships or consuming yourself in your job or your career or, you know, whatever it might be, doesn't satisfy. Know who you are in God. It's the best way that you can fight against temptation. God loves you. He's got good plans for you. It's a battle. There's a hymn that says, Lord, I know I'm prone to wander. Yeah? Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Yeah? Come on, do yourself some good. Kill the pride in you. Say, Lord, I feel it. I feel that I make mistakes, that I'm prone to make mistakes. I'm prone to wander from you. Kill some pride in your life. But you are being made more holy by God's grace. The Bible teaches you can falter and not fail if you are watchful. And if you make constant calls upon God's grace and his mercy, there is a fight, an old confession of the faith, the Westminster Confession. It says that for your holiness, there is a a continual and irreconcilable war. It ain't gonna stop till Jesus comes again or until we pop our clogs and go to be with him. That's That's the only point that it stops. I, I don't know about you, but sometimes it feels like, God, I could do with a breather anybody come on someone tag me I want to go sit down I'm not kidding get up here no no we, we feel this don't we And well like, I don't know whether I can go on any further and God says I know you can't go on any further but I can I'll pick you up we sometimes think the old footprints poems a little cheesy There were two sets of footprints, God walking alongside. What about when there was only one? Why did you leave me? And, you know, the voice of God comes back and says, that's when I carried you, yeah? I saw it taken a a little further. It's like, well, what about that one set of footprints with the big groove? That's when I had to drag you, says Jesus, (laughs) pulling you along. Say, God, give me a breather. God says, come on. I got you. Won't leave you. Won't forsake you. So fight. Resist. Win. The devil will seek to tempt. He will also seek to accuse. He will seek to accuse and deceive. He loves to try and make a believer feel that they're unloved or that they're forgotten or if they make a mistake, then somehow they've committed an unforgivable sin. You haven't. Okay, people ask about that all the time. What's the unforgivable sin? I don't care. You haven't done it. <laughs> Crack on. Come on. Devil accuses all the time. That's what his name means. Satan it means the accuser. Stop being surprised when he has a pop at you. It's like if I was called Coca-Cola and I was refreshing. You know, it's it's just obvious, isn't it? It's obvious. He's called the accuser. Why are you surprised? Some of you are like, you're not refreshing, Pastor. (laughs) My name means something good. When the enemy seeks to deceive you or to accuse you with false accusations, even though he might take a little bit of truth and twist it, to beat you around the head with it, he's still a liar. All right? If he tells you anything. Where do you go for truth? go to the Bible go to the Bible for every lie he brings there's ten truths in there go to your brothers and sisters in Christ on Tuesday labs are starting up again communities uh, many will be sharing communion this week go to your brothers and sisters you know it's not being needy to say come on I'm believing a lie help me to believe some truths." it's a good thing Build one another up in the faith. So many lies about. How about sharing a bit of truth? When we read in Revelation chapter 12, this fight, this cosmic battle, we could read it on. Um, We found that Satan, the deceiver of the world, was thrown down. And if we were to read on in verse 10, it says there, I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now. I love it when there are voices from heaven saying, now. Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ, that is Jesus, have come for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God and they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony for they love not their lives even unto death. Cost, battle, but conquering because of what Jesus has done and the way we proclaim it, no lie, no lie, no lie is stronger than your testimony of faith in Jesus Christ. No accusation can come against you. Who is to accuse you? It is God who justifies. Is there anyone bigger than God? That's the easiest question I'm ever going to ask you. If you can't answer that one, then we're in trouble. Is there anyone bigger than God? No. Nobody. Nobody. Can bring an accusation against you. If God has justified you. Amen. Wow. Wow. Yes. Some of you. You've been believing lies about yourself. But God says over you. Dearly beloved. Yes. He says it. Amen. You believe lies about you. But God says over you. Look at me John. Conqueror. Amen. You. You believe lies about yourself. And God says, <laughs> I don't know why, beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> if you couldn't tell, it was favor, I don't know why. No pride now, all right. <laughs> I couldn't have picked a lady for that, you'd be really embarrassed. So would I. But God says it over you. Beloved, conquerors, beautiful, righteous, holy, eternal. <laughs> God speaks these things over you. Why would you believe a lie? I think the truth's way better. Yes. It's way better. Yes. You were made in Christ to overcome. This is how we overcome. Don't be dismayed by your weakness. Rejoice in the strength of Christ. Time is so marching on. I can't believe it. I've got loads left. I'll shut up in a bit, I promise. We'll do some more another time, shall we? I'm going to do some more tonight. Um, that'll, That'll be good. If I were to use the word spiritual warfare... You know, some of you have been around the block in Christian circles for a while and you start to think about all the various kind of things that you've been told about and the way you can find a text somewhere in the Bible that says that such and such is happening. You know, it may well be. It may well be. My way of reading the Bible is to say that the plain thing is the main thing. So shall we make the main thing the plain thing? When I read the Bible and it tells me over and over again that there's a war on for my soul and its holiness, and I ought to live righteous, why am I obsessed with finding some spirit for that or a demon over there or da 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 da? da. The Bible teaches me exactly how I fight. I stand firm. I stand firm against temptation. It's my life matters. It does. Your life matters. Your life is almost certainly, no, forget that. Your life is certainly the means of another coming to faith in Jesus Christ. So fight. Fight to be holy. Fight. Your brothers and your sisters, your family members, your colleagues, your neighbors, their lives depend upon something. And I'm not saying that, you know, that Jesus can't make a way where there seems no other way. We know this to be true. But come on, there's a reason why you're here. There's a reason why you live. There's a reason why we ain't gone to heaven yet because it's better there. There's a reason why we're here, Christians. Your holiness is supposed to speak into this world. Don't you dare believe the lies of the devil about you. Don't do it. God speaks a better word. Do you know, I believe that if we could, if we could start to embrace the, the wonderful things that, that God is speaking over us, then we would be such the best people to speak life into our world. You know, the Bible teaches you and it teaches me. And I wonder, perhaps you close your eyes for a minute because we're going to think about Jesus, not about Pastor Greg. That'd be great. The Bible says, The Lord your God is with you, He is a mighty one who saves. The Bible says that He rejoices over you with loud singing. <laughs> We're going to do a bit of that in a minute. Because God does it. He rejoices over you with loud singing. He will quiet you with his love. Christians, you're made to fight. God has given you all the tools that you need. There's much more that could be said. And we'll say it on another occasion. This morning I wonder if we've said enough. And we ought to let the Spirit begin to do his work. I say begin. Please God that he's been doing it all this time. (laughs) Are you tempted? Have desires got the better of you? Are they twisted in your experience and they're getting mastery of you? But there's freedom in Christ for you today. And not your master. Because what the devil says about you isn't true. Your satisfaction is in Jesus. He has welcomed you with open arms, your acceptance is in Him. He says you are significant. No temptation, no sin, no loss, no desire can give you what God alone can give. Run to him today. Would you do that? Stop running into the arms of things that will break you and hide and disappoint you and lead you away chew you up and spit you out start running into those arms the arms of God are open to you today he speaks over you something much much better come on Christian it's so quiet lovely music has started but we're fighting right now when the enemy rushes in like a flood Jesus raises up a banner it's more powerful He does, he has, he will save. Do you feel an accusation, a deceit, a lie has got mastery of you today? Do you believe things to be true that are hurting, breaking, pushing you down? over us. He does not come to push us down. The Bible teaches that Jesus and his armies have thrown down everything that would seek to conquer and destroy his people. No, no, no. They're thrown down. Their time is short. They will be destroyed for all eternity. It's coming a new day start to see bits of it even right now the Bible teaches me that whilst all evil and all of this filth and lies is thrown down and it's done with and it's gone, the Bible teaches me that Jesus Christ took up his life from the grave and he rose at his father's command the Bible teaches me that he rose up he was lifted up the firstborn among many brothers and sisters what does that mean? means that there's resurrection for you today Jesus ain't pushing you down he's lifting you up Jesus is not condemning you he may well be convicting you please God that he would continue to correct us but he's lifting you up What deceit have you believed that is pushing you down? What things have captured or captivated you? How quickly do we turn away from the truth? And yet God says, be lifted up. This is not a moment of pride. It's a moment of true humility. If you humble yourself before the Lord, he will lift you up. At just the right time. God lifts us up. For us all, it might just be that some of us here today, and oh my, you're struggling. I, I might see a few things with my natural eyes, but God sees the heart and He loves you. If you're really struggling this morning, everybody's got their heads bowed, their eyes closed, and I'm going to keep my eyes open just because I want to pray with you. If you're really struggling this morning, would you do something pretty brave? Would you pop a hand up so that I can see it? Just keep it up for a little while. And you're not really saying anything to me, although I'm with you. But this is an opportunity for God to see the cry of your heart. had your hand up could you just do that just for a moment longer and if you're a person who serves on a prayer station open your eyes or if you're a lab leader perhaps open your eyes pastors elders just open your eyes and would you just go to these folks just quietly no song and dance don't stand over them kneel next to them blokes go to blokes ladies go to ladies would you do that Feel it's appropriate, would you give him a hug? accusations or deceits that have permeated your life causing you such weariness and weakness God speaks over you a better word, what does the Bible say? all God's promises are yes and amen God speaks in the affirmative and he affirms you in him God will do, he will do, he will do more than you can ask for or imagine God will provide for your needs according to his riches in glory. God speaks an affirmative word over you today. He says yes to you today. He says amen. anybody want to be a fighter? Does anyone want to be a fighter? Do you want to fight as Jesus fights? Do you want to get yourself on the front line? Do you want to be where the lost are and the needy and the hurting? I know some of us, we're those people, who are here today and that's great. There's plenty more everywhere, aren't there? If you want to be a fighter this morning and you want to fight with Jesus... His kingdom come, his will be done in Birkenhead. I know I always start with Birkenhead, but that's because I love Birkenhead more than anywhere else. You'll permit me that, won't you? You can put something else in if it's, if it's a different town. Across the Wirral, further afield, God's will be done, his kingdom come, as it is in heaven. If you want to fight today, and not just today, but we're going to get fighting a bit more, eh? If you want to be a fighter with Jesus, I wonder, would you hop to your feet? This is not saying I'm strong. This is saying I'm weak, but I know Jesus is strong. It's not saying I have all the answers, but it's saying I have Jesus, and I know it's enough. If, if you're still being prayed for, don't feel like you've got to hop to your feet. It's all right, God sees your heart. You know, if you want to fight, but you still need some prayer, then that's good too. Don't worry about it. Oh, Jesus, we give our lives to you of our lives to you early doors in the life of the church in the book of Acts quite early on Peter and John leaders in the church the best of the best of the best imprisoned Um, and worry goes through the church because there's cost and there's Pressure and it seems like maybe this isn't going as it's supposed to go and didn't God say that he was going to come back again it's all going to be great, why is this happening they pray and they pray really, really remarkably because they don't pray for all trouble to go away and they don't pray for life to be easy and they don't pray that there wouldn't be a cost in the proclamation of the gospel they don't pray that you know God would take the fight away Jesus and pray it, so why should we? They pray, God, give us boldness, courage, to proclaim the gospel with lies of holiness, to know who we are in Jesus, to get about it.